like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. More wonderfulness for today's Song of the Soul. Patrice Hahn will be enchanting you with her voice and with her fingers as she sings and plays the harp. And then, of course, there's the deep, flowing spirit she channels in her thoughts and lyrics. This doesn't but scratch the surface or do her justice. But I hope you'll not only listen to the full 55 minutes of broadcast with Patrice, I also hope you'll go to northernspiritradio.org and listen to all of the bonus excerpts from the program, because there's absolutely no way this is going to fit. You'll learn more about harps, about holding beliefs lightly, and much more, including one more of her songs. But right now, let's head out to California to join Patrice Hahn on the phone. Patrice, I'm absolutely delighted to have you here today for Song of the Soul. I'm so glad to be with you, Mark. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about where you live, how long you've lived there. I am about to celebrate the 15th anniversary of living in a 100-year-old house in Oakland in California, living with a wonderful man whose name is Tony Marcus, who is my husband, and is the reason that I am living in California. I'm a Canadian. I grew up on the prairies and on the West Coast. I moved here to marry Tony and to help take care of his mother and to be a musician. I was looking through your website. One of the things that I saw commentary about you saying was that you started playing as a church organist at the age of 12. Why did they trust a 12-year-old with their organ? (laughs) Because there wasn't anybody else to play. I played piano, and there was a need for an organist in church, and it had a keyboard, and they said, can you do this? And I said, yes. And I don't think I was ever a particularly gifted organist, but I certainly could accompany the singing in church, and it was quite a lot of fun. What kind of church was it? Is this United Church or whatever it's called in Canada? No, actually, I was raised as an Irish Roman Catholic, so we had quite remarkable hymns, you know, a series of modern hymns, some that we had filched from various of our Protestant brethren, and then some sort of tremendous stuff, you know, Mozart and things like that. My mother was a soprano in the church choir, and she was a trained singer. So one of my early tasks was to accompany her while she sang for weddings and funerals. I played the organ, and mom sang So are you a guitarist as well as organist, piano, and a harpist, of course? I am not. 
it's very, very strange. I'm surrounded by guitars, and I do not play guitar. I know my way around a tiny bit. I have never played in public, and if I continue to play the way I do, I shall never play in public. <laughs> I, I'm not sure why that... What, what is it about guitar that confounds you? If anybody could do a harp, I mean, has to be light years ahead of most of the guitarists of this world. Well, perhaps. A piano is much more closely related to a harp. You think about each string is a designated string. A C is a C is a C. On a guitar, an E is an anything, depending where you fret it. A G is an anything, depending where you fret it. So the harp, in some ways, is a, is a simpler instrument. I guess. It also mentions on your website that you saw your first harp, fell in love with it at the age of six, but it was, wasn't until your mid-30s that you came up with one. How were they keeping you away from the harps? My father was a corporal in the Air Force. I didn't know there were small harps. I told my parents, I want a harp, I want a harp, I want a harp. And they said, darling, <laughs> not possible. We're in the Air Force. We move around. Although, bless them, and I don't entirely understand this, they got a piano instead, and the entire family learned to play the piano. Although I suspect the piano cost less than a harp. And they were thinking of those great big concert harps, pedal harps, which in fact, you know, cost about the same as a down payment on a house. The harp that I finally saw was a small Celtic harp. It was small enough to sit in your lap and lean against your shoulder and play that way. It was a beautiful wee thing. It was called a hummingbird. It was the most exquisite thing. And I was 33 years old, and the friend that I was with when I saw it, I was trying to talk myself out of purchasing this harp, said, if you don't buy this harp, will you regret it more than if you do buy this harp? And I couldn't really answer that question. And then he said to me, if I were you and you were me, and I was sitting there saying, should I buy the harp, should I not buy the harp, what would you say? And I said, don't be an idiot, buy the harp. <laughs> so he said, don't be an idiot, buy the harp. <laughs> and it was launched. It was launched. There was a big bump in my life. I didn't play that harp. I put that harp in my room and I looked at it every day for a year. I looked at it with longing and I dreamed about it and I dusted it and I tuned it and I did not play it for a year. I had wanted it so badly and I'd wanted one for so long that I was afraid that I would ruin my dream if I actually started playing the harp. Is that slightly twisted? I was just terrified that I wanted it so badly that it couldn't be as much as I wanted. And then I started to play it. And then the world changed. The whole world changed. I think we need to start out with an example of some of your music. So we get an idea who Patrice Hahn is, and the harp will obviously work its way in as we're listening to your music. What do you want to start us with for Song of the Soul, Patrice? Do you know what I'd love to start with is a song called If I Were a Lake. It's from my second album. It's from Bluest Blue. It's harp and bass. It's a duet. My wonderful friend Renee Wurst, who is a marvelous bass player from Vancouver, is on it. And this is a meditation that was inspired by my being with a lake in the Northwest and thinking, if I were a lake, I would be still. If I were a lake, I would be still. If I were a lake, I would be deep. I would be 
grasses too I'd simply be a lake From boggy end to rippling surface breeze I would know Patrice Hahn, her song, If I Were a Lake, and that is from her second CD, Bluest Blue, and that's your most recent to date CD, true? True, but I have to tell you, I'm terribly excited because it happens that this day that we're speaking, I have just completed a brand new CD. Oh my goodness. Isn't isn't, isn't that a little bit like giving birth? It is completely like giving birth. It involves so much thought and so much waiting. And then there's this incredible struggle because you have to face, the musician gets to face herself in a most profound way. This is what I sound like. This is what I have to say to the world. This is how I play. All my demons come up and bite me and tell me how much better I could be and ought to be. And who do I think I am to be putting this music out there? And my angels say, go for it. When I was making Bluest Blue, a friend of mine who's a musician in the Seattle area really challenged me. He said, why are you even writing these songs if you aren't going to share them with people? It has been six years between the first and the second CDs. Why are you writing these songs and then keeping them to yourself? You're a hoarder. (laughs) Whoa. Big time. And I said, I was in tears. You know, he was really bearing down on me. Why? Why are you writing these songs? I said, these songs are saving my life. They're saving my life. He said, then, if it seems to have worked so far, why are you being so selfish and not letting them work for anybody else? Wow. That's either a great gift or a great load of guilt that got laid upon you. (laughs) It's probably a little bit of each, but then I'm Irish, so, you know, the guilt is familiar. I think more than anything, it was a big challenge. I don't know if these songs are medicine for anybody else. They are my medicine. These songs are the things that keep me alive. They're the things that talk to me. I'm talking to myself or the muse of music is talking to me about what I need to know about my world. It's reminding me where to look. One of the things I saw mention of is the fact that you're part of a group of people who perform healing muses, who who take healing music into local hospitals and care facilities, that kind of thing. So is this born out of your experience of healing? I mean, they're saving you, so pass it on. It's true. It's true. And it's also from another experience I had in my life when I was a young-ish woman in my mid-20s. A friend of mine was told that her breast cancer had metastasized. It was everywhere in her body and she was going to die. She did not want to go to a hospital and die. She wanted to stay at home. I was asked by her family to be part of a very small group who would care for her every day and let her living and her dying at home be meaningful and secure. And my job was to be her musician. I don't know that I've ever been quite so scared in my whole life. It just seemed preposterous that I would have anything to give her. But that was my job. 
and we would sit and talk, and I would sing for her, I would play the piano for her. So these many years later, when I was asked if I would like to join Healing Muses and take my harp into the hospital, I was overjoyed. Oh, I should say, in the interim, I was fortunate enough to be with my aunt when she died and to also be with my mother when my mother died. And because I was living in Ottawa and my mom was living in Calgary while she was dying, the way for me to be with her when I couldn't physically be with her was to send her music. And so I made tapes singing to her. And when she was actually crossing, because it was so big and I couldn't sing, I put on those tapes and held her. Then, years later, when I was here in California, I was asked if I would join Healing Muses. So it felt like the next step in that particular journey. So do you take your harp in, or do you just go in and sing, or how do you do this? I take the harp in. I very, very rarely sing. Healing Muses makes music. There are three harpers. There are four harpers right now. We make music on the wards and in waiting rooms. So occasionally a social worker or a chaplain will ask us to visit one particular patient. And in those situations, I'm more comfortable singing or humming with that person. In the larger context, the words often are too distracting. What we're essentially doing is creating a healing ambient sound. So we're making a space for healing to happen. We don't claim that the music heals. We certainly don't claim that we heal. But our mission is to make a space within which healing can't occur. And the music often calms people down, just stills the stress level a little bit, brings the noise level down a little bit, brings people a little bit into the present. And they say if a person really knows how to play harp, they can bring a person to tears or bring a person to laughter or lead a person to sleep. Any of those three things to me seem that they're profoundly healing spaces to be in. So occasionally people get really embarrassed because they cry. But I think that water is the thing that heals people. And also occasionally somebody will be embarrassed. Say I'm sitting there with my mother and my mother falls asleep and I might think, oh Lord, my mother fell asleep and she's snoring and that harpist must be so embarrassed. (laughs) It's the most tremendous gift because they've affirmed that the music's doing work. Well, obviously, the last song, If I Were a Lake, you seem to have some kind of a connection with water. I mean, it's your element, right? You're not an air, you're not a fire, you're not a earth, you're a, a water being. I'm totally a water being. I think I'm, I don't know, I think maybe I'm a whale. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> a lot of my music has water in it, as you might notice. I'm thinking, for example, the song Be Still My Heart says, Be Still My Heart, Life is an Ocean. Launch all your worries like boats on the tide. And that trust that we have, the trust that I actually sing about in the song, the trust will bring us home if we can just float. Be still my heart Life is an ocean Launch all your worries like boats on the tide And watch them float into the sunset See how they ripple and shimmer and glide 
my foolish heart You are determined To conquer the wind In the midst of the gale Oh, rest my heart Gentle and patient Wait for the breeze that will cherish the same. What is your task, my heart? Simply to beat for a season. Seek to be joy come to you the waves roll in faithful as morning worry and tears will not speed them along the river flows true to its nature Still My Heart by Patrice Hahn. You can find her on the web at patricehahn.com. Hahn is spelled H-A-A-N. And you mentioned Patrice, by the way, that, you know, you're good Irish. It's Irish Catholic. You've got this flavor there. Hahn, I think, is a German word because the community where my wife grew up, there was a community bakery there. This is the Amana Colonies in Iowa. There was a bakery there, the Hahn Bakery, and so Hahn bread is a special thing in our experience. Oh, what nationality is it? Hahn is actually a Dutch name. My great-great-grandfather, Nicholas, came from the northern part of Holland, So the rest of me is Irish, but there's this one marvelously stubborn and very tall part of the family that's from Holland, from Groningen. Tall, like in Patrice Hahn. You mean that tall? I mean that tall. How tall are you? I've seen pictures. I haven't met you. 
you will have seen me standing next to my husband, and so we just look like anybody else on the street. But I'm 6'5", and he's 6'4". My goodness. I can look up to you tremendously. That's wonderful. <laughs> the lovely thing is, I like being looked up at. I don't look down on people, though. So I'm very beneficent. <laughs> A noble goddess. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was listening to the song, Be Still My Heart, as I'm sitting there with it, one of the things that popped into my mind was, is this a message about how you are, what native comes to you, or is this aspiration? You wish you didn't have an Irish temper and that you had this sea of tranquility. That's a fun question. I have a long fuse and a hot temper. So my best self is this still person, is this floating person. And often in the music, I get to be my best self. So it reminds me of my aspirations. But I'm still imagining, just from what I've visited with you so far, I'm imagining that there is a part of you that is tranquil, placid, centered. Or is this just all facade that you put on for us radio personalities? No, that's me. That's me too. I come from a long line of worriers, and so I'm particularly skilled at worrying. And as I said, I have a heck of a temper. I have a really, really long fuse, but I have a heck of a temper. So I get angry, you know, once every, oh, I don't know, four or five years. And then I have to go quiet myself down. Now, I know about you, Patrice, that you've got this Quaker connection. Did you go directly from hanging out with the Catholics to associating with these people named Quakers? Yes. And there was this very complicated weave on the way, which was a very, very rich weave. My family is Irish Catholic. I was raised within a very traditional Catholic framework, served in the community, served as a musician. I was one of the first people in my community to be ordained as a Eucharistic minister, which meant that even though I was a lay person, I was allowed to distribute the host for communion. It was a huge, huge moment. And I felt that I had been called to move further within that ministry, and the church said that women could not move any further within that ministry. So I was preparing to study anyways, thinking that somehow way would open, and if I was being called, then a door would open and I would step through. I began working on a Master's Divinity degree, and one of my teachers was a most exceptional Jesuit theologian by the name of Bernard Cook, who was a marvelous, marvelous teacher and was a door for me. And his wife, because he had left the Jesuits and married Pauline, was another doorway. She introduced me to feminist theology, which was a difficult path to travel for a while. There's a lot of grief and a lot of anger at being told what I could and I couldn't do because of my gender but a lot of information and a lot of joy. All these things are coming together. At the same time, I start to be introduced to herbal medicine and the medicine of the planet, the religion and the medicine of the planet itself, the turning of the seasons, the medicinal quality of plants. I was introduced through earth medicine and Wiccan circles to goddess religions. All of this I knew because I had studied archaeology when I first began my university studies. So all of this started to weave. And then I met the Quakers. And there were these people who said, be responsible to the light, harm no one, 
be responsible to your own calling and move forward. I thought, holy Moses, they've managed somehow to take it all and give me a safe place to stand while I figure out who I am and how to move forward. It wasn't a simple stepping from one path to another path. It was a really complicated weave, and it was a beautiful, beautiful weave. I was raised Catholic, too. I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have known the song Sons of God, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had a positive experience of being Quaker, of, of being Catholic. I had a positive experience of being Catholic, but I knew it didn't fit for me. I knew that, and and maybe part of my experience was positive because I was male, and you know, men didn't have to deal with the same garbage that women had to deal with. So, um, I ended up feeling very positive about what I left the Catholic religion with, the Catholic practice with. How does it end up feeling to you in retrospect after you've gone through the anger, after you've claimed your full identity and your full power? I am so, so grateful for that church and my upbringing in that church. The gift, I would say, is twofold. On the one hand, the church itself introduced me to music and ritual in the most beautiful way. I love that, and I will always love that. The second gift, actually, was not the gift that I learned on Sunday. It was the gift that I got from my mothers and my grandmothers, and that is the gift of mysticism and the gift of relating to the divine in a way that's formless but knowable. I mean, I don't believe in the God who dresses in bedsheets and has a white beard and lives in the sky. I don't believe in that hierarchical structure either. But I believe that a breath infuses the world. I actually think it's a song that infuses the world. And the song is a song of love. And that calls all things into being. And I could not have known that without this wisdom from my grandmothers because that was the way. And I should say my grandfathers too. My father was a mystic. How their belief informs mine. So then all the other steps seem like they're sequential. And I have nothing but gratitude for my experience of the church. We better keep going with your music. I have a feeling I could sit here flowing down the river with you all day long. But there's a lot more music to share, and and it's a beautiful thing that we don't want to withhold from our listeners. Do you know what, though? We're talking about water. I'm thinking, you just said we could could float all day on this. Let's look at Grasshopper Hymn, because Grasshopper Hymn starts with curtains of rain coming down the valley, sweeping down the valley. It actually references Aesop's fables, and it also references the Christian gospel as a way of talking about singing. Curtains of rain sweep down the valley Storm on my doorstep At close of the day Could have been ready Hatches all battened But I was out singing In my grasshopper Somebody told me to move to the high ground 
Somebody told me to brace for a squall. The wise virgin readies her lamp for the bridegroom and knows that grasshoppers courting a fall. Curtains of rain sweep down the valley. A clutch in my heart at the sound of the storm. Echoes of Aesop could have been ready. Hatches all battened, cozy. But singing my heart out, I have a calling to sing through the storm at the close of the day. Sing for the light till the advent of morning. And sing for my supper in my grasshopper way. Curtains of rain sweep down the valley. Storm on my doorstep at close of the day. Could have been ready, hatches all batten. singing in my grasshopper way some beautiful incredible vocals harmony there grasshopper hymn by patrice hahn she is our guest today for song of the soul and this is song of the soul which is a northern spirit radio production on the web at northernspiritradio.org On the website, you can find about eight years of these interviews to listen to and download. You find a place to leave comments, and we do treasure your comments, your feedback, your connection with us. There's also links to our guests, so you could find a link, for instance, to patricehahn.com, spelled as a good Dutch person would spell it. You'll also find a place to leave donations. There's a donate button and an address you could send donations to. This program is brought to you because of your generous donations, so please do donate to us. But also remember to support your local community radio station. It's such a vital alternative to mainstream media, so please do remember to support them. Again, we're speaking with Patrice Hahn. She's over in California. We just heard the song Grasshopper Hymn, a cappella. How many voices in there are there besides you, Patrice, or are you singing harmony with yourself? No, I cheated and I sang one harmony because the third harmony singer couldn't come, but the other two voices are a dear friend, Laura Golden, who's a marvelous musician from Eugene, Oregon, and Cindy Callett, who's originally from the East Coast and is now living in Kentucky. Extraordinary musicians, both of them. That grasshopper hymn, I I assume you identify as the grasshopper? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, you know, we're all told we should be ant, 
we're all told we should be taking care of business and we should just be doing our work every day and we should be expecting the worst and hoarding what little stores we can and being responsible. And the thing that struck me about Grasshopper, the gift of Grasshopper, is that Grasshopper would sooner sing and die than not sing. Grasshopper doesn't want Ant to take care of her. She just has to sing or she'll die. And this is my testimony. I went through a period of time of very profound grief where I took refuge in only working. For almost seven years, all I did was work. Very early in the morning until very late at night, I often worked 12 and 15 hour days and I worked six days a week. And I did not sing, I did not play, and I did not listen to music. At the end of it, I realized that I was dying. I was literally dying. And I thought, something has to happen. I called my friends to me. I literally phoned my friends and said, come to me and help me now. And they did. Two of them, (laughs) Robert and Susan, did a friendly intervention, and they took me to a music camp. My first music camp. (laughs) That's a different intervention than I've heard most people receive. (laughs) I'm telling you, I got a blessed life. They took me to a music camp where I got to spend a week in a musical village surrounded by people who played guitar and played fiddle and played bass and sang. And I came back transformed and knew that I could never stop singing again. What a wonderful group of friends you must have. I'm not surprised. I know that deep calls to deep, so I I guess I understand where that comes from. But a lot of people, even when they know the answer, are too hesitant to say the answer. It's a good thing that you've got friends with the right courage. I have the best friends in the world. (laughs) The best. So bless us with some more of this music that you can't help but emit into the world. (laughs) Emit. My very dear friend, Maureen, Maureen Scobie, scholar and fabulous cook and gardener, died in 2001. She's a marvelous and precious person. And her husband, Stephen, who is a tremendous poet, a famous Canadian poet, invited me to come and be one of the people who would remember her at a memorial. On my way to the memorial... A song came to me, literally came in whole. And it's been a song that has been a source of comfort for me and I and I think for others. It's called I'm Not Far Away. It seems in my life that I get to be present to people when they're making that last big crossing. And this song has been such a comfort. If at the end of every day your heart is aching and morning weighs too much for you to bear sleep is your only hope of comfort catching rides on the dreaming fairy This is not the way you planned the final chapters Who'd have thought you'd ever feel so damned alone If I could send you one last little word I'd wrap it in clouds like a kiss 
I'd blow to you. I'm not far away. Turn the corner, you will see me just a little further down the road we travel. I'm not far away. Not that far at all. Just a little further down the Hans CD headed home. The song is I'm Not Far Away. Some beautiful piano and voice there. And of course, the wonderful poetry that you share through the, the soul of your voice. So Patrice, you were inspired, you were given that song with respect to your friend. Is it an individual song or is it a universal song? It's very much a universal song. I felt like as I was hearing it, that I was recognizing it, that it could be any of our beloveds. It could have been any of my beloveds singing this song to me. I felt that I knew that it was a gift to Stephen, but that it was a larger gift. I'm not far away. I'm just a little further down the road. You were raised Catholic, as was I, and you've already said you don't the this god idea this divine being is not what was represented to us as god what about heaven and hell the first time i was at a quaker meeting uh, and i asked someone you know do quakers believe in hell i was told no and you believe in heaven well some do <laughs> what do you think about afterlife what do you think about when we make the passage what are we passing to boy it's a big question isn't it it's a big mystery I have opinions, and I don't know that they're fixed opinions. But I will say that my experience of my father dying and my mother dying and several other dear friends is that we are received. I don't, I cannot believe that we're a candle that's snuffed out. And the reason for that is that I feel the continued presence of my beloveds with me. So I think maybe heaven is the most profound way of belonging and oneness. Now, whether that's one with Atman, whether that's returning to the earth to have our molecules mixed up and come up in a tree or another person, I don't know. But I think there's some kind of being known, being seen, being held. And maybe the soul doesn't need the body anymore. Heaven is a little more difficult to talk about. I don't know what it is. I don't believe that hell is a place. 
I do believe there's hell. And I do believe that we send ourselves there. I think that hell is the state of utter disconnection. I don't think anyone else can send us there. And I think we can always change our mind. But that hell is disconnection and complete isolation. It seems to me that an awful lot of people, and I'm guilty of this from time to time too, people get stuck on a belief that they set up for themselves when they were, you know, five or six. And then because they don't spend much time thinking about that stuff, the belief doesn't grow. So there you have a 50-year-old person with a six-year-old's belief structure about a particular part of their life. Every other part of their life is 50. Well, most of it, some of it's probably still 18, but... (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's this part that's very, very childish. And I think that spirituality bears very close observation that it's got the bone and the muscle and and the breath to sustain any kind of close observation. My mom was terrified when I started studying theology. My poor mother was just fitful. I know she had sleepless nights because if I asked questions, she was convinced that I would deconstruct my faith and I would end up with nothing. And I will admit that there were nights when I spent the entire night pacing the floor trying to figure out how could these things that I had been told be true and not being satisfied with the old admonition that that is a mystery, don't ask. If I was given a logical, rational brain and an intellect, why should I not use it to maybe misspeak myself? You know, we were given this, we were given this intellect to the glory of God, then let's use the sucker. <laughs> And I, and I actually really think that spirituality bears close consideration and will, and will stand up. But it's, there will likely be dark nights, too. Because I can see that we're going to run out of time for this broadcast, we're going to put your song, Penelope, and a lot more of our visit as bonus excerpts on northernspiritradio.org. But right now, Patrice, I want to ask you a bit about another facet of your music career. You've been able to perform together with Tony, Tony Marcus. Together, the two of you are leftover dreams. In jazz, or I I think of torch songs, that's your style of music (laughs) together. And yet, the music that you've been sharing today hasn't sounded that way. Is that because together, your and Tony's souls are that kind of jazz or that kind of torch, and that singularly your soul is something different? No, I actually think they're completely complementary, and that's one of the great joys of having this particular man in my life. Tony has been a musician since he was, oh, I don't know, 19 years old. He's a tremendous guitarist, and he plays most things that have strings except harp. I'm grateful that he left that one for me. and has this really gorgeous low baritone voice. He's really deep into swing music and music from the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Now, I heard a lot of that music out of the voice of my mother. So when we came together and were looking for a music that the two of us could sing together, that seemed a logical place to investigate. So I would say that the characteristic of the songs that we sing together is romance. Some of them are kind of blue. Some of them are a little heartbroken, a little frayed around the edges but very deeply committed to romance. Which is why one of your CDs together is called We'll Take Romance. Bingo. Yeah. Well, it's some great music, but that's not what we're listening here today. (laughs) We just heard Penelope, and we've got time for one more, so let's finish off your Song of the Soul. What's next? Let's finish off with Fireweed. 
the specific thing about fireweed is that I said when I was talking about Penelope that you have to trust that when you've once loved someone, it never stops. It may be that you can't live with that person, that happily ever after is not part of your story, but love never stops. And this song was written to come to terms with somebody that I loved but couldn't live happily ever after with. And it was inspired by walking some of the clear cuts on Vancouver Island. The clear cuts themselves are so appalling. There's such a destruction of the land. But the land will not stop. And fireweed is the first thing that comes up after a clear cut or after a fire. And this beautiful thing starts to colonize a devastated space. And I believe with all my heart that that is what will happen to all of us, that love will come and recolonize us. Well, I think we're just going to finish off for today's Song of the Soul with Patrice Hahn with that song, Fireweed. Patrice, it's been glorious getting to know you, your music, your voice, and I do hope to see you in person one of these days. That would be a joy and a blessing, Mark. I hope so. Thank you so much. As I said in the beginning, there was no way to fit all of this visit with Patrice Hahn in just 55 minutes. So you'll find a number of bonus excerpts on the northernspiritradio.org website, including one more of her beautiful songs. Right now, we leave you with Fireweed by Patrice Hahn. See you next week for Song of the Soul. Fireweed, you spring up like the dawn Rosy as the morning Where the remnants of the lost land lie You dance the world reborn Fireweed Stretch to touch the sun Crowding tall and slender In the afternoons of August days Unburnt and barren ground When the land breathes again Desecration From the ash Comes the blue Of your Quickly as you came 
flowering, fleeting has been a thousand feathered seeds you give to the waiting winds to blow away. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy. So